Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. I'm Guy Marzarati in for Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. BART has some big problems, and not your daily eight-car, two-door train to Dublin-Pleasanton in 30 minutes type problems. People just aren't commuting and riding public transit like they used to. BART ridership is still under 40% of what it was pre-pandemic, and the federal government's emergency aid, it won't last forever. Plus, a lot of people who are still riding aren't thrilled with their experience. So the time for BART to figure out how to raise money and bring back riders is, well, now approaching. Now approaching. The money question, the question of personal security and safety and how to deal with homelessness on the system, all these things have sort of, you know, coalesced to to make it a, a moment for BART. Today, how BART plans to win back riders and avoid financial calamity. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. How important is ridership to BART financially? Historically, it's an agency that is highly dependent on revenue from fares. Dan Brecky is an editor and reporter for KQED. So you need that full load of people to bring in the money to run the system every day. There are other sources of revenue too, sales tax and property tax, but the biggest thing that they were getting was this fare revenue. 
before the pandemic hit, they were getting about 70% of their operating money, you know, the money that's used to keep the stations open and, and the trains running every day, 70% of that was coming from fares. Now, you know, it's a small fraction of what they're getting. So the implication is they've been spending way, way more money than they've been taking in. And the reason they've been able to operate the way they have been, they have more service now than they did before the pandemic, is federal bailout money, right? They've gotten $1.6 billion in federal bailout money. And so that's what keeps the system going, really. In the coming fiscal years, though, it's going to be running a deficit of over $300 million, almost as far as the eye can see, unless there is replacement funding. So what could happen if BART's financial situation does not improve? Well, we're going to see some service cuts for sure. We don't know what those would look like. The ones that BART has advertised are truly terrible if you're a transit rider, right? They might close stations. They might dramatically curtail service, close earlier in the evening, open later in the morning, uh, have much reduced weekend service. None of it looks good. I know BART does a survey of riders about their experience in the system. What are people saying? You know, BART's had a tough time with this uh, customer satisfaction survey. The last one held before the pandemic gave them the lowest ratings they ever got. And that was really a reflection of, you know, the crowding that had happened on the train and some series of breakdowns they were having. Now, the rating went way up during the pandemic uh, with many, many fewer riders riding it. People were, were happier with the service. Now it's gone back down. It's still the second lowest. So people are really repeating those same concerns. They're concerned about homelessness. And they're concerned about personal security, especially. And um, on-time performance is a big thing because they've had, uh, they had a really rough time, especially this past year, with lots of cancellations. Um, with that, I am very, very excited to formally open item four, our annual board workshop. Um, and before I pass over... Okay, so BART has to find a way to avoid fiscal calamity, to bring riders back. And it sounds like a few ideas to do that were tossed around at this workshop that happened last week with elected officials and BART staff. So let's break these ideas to save BART into a couple buckets. I think the first we can call self-improvement or it takes money to make money. Basically, make BART more attractive to riders who will then come back. What are some of the ways that this could work? So the ideas range from just improving the customer experience you know, doing things to make the stations more inviting. So there have been a couple of huge reconstruction projects at El Cerrito del Norte and at uh, 19th Street in Oakland. They're opening bathrooms in some of the downtown stations. So it's stuff like that. It's increasing police presence. And then there are other ideas that are sort of beyond BART. There is a real push regionally to make transit as seamless so that it's easier to go and less costly to go from system to system. And then scheduling improvements. So all these things were discussed, and, and all of them are underway, for instance, in, in some way or other. Okay, you mentioned policing, and I want to drill down on that. BART has said there will be more foot patrols by BART police officers throughout the system. What's the idea behind increasing police presence to encourage ridership? 
So one of the questions that BART has asked in its customer satisfaction surveys is, how satisfied are you with the uh, police presence? You know, have you seen a police officer while you're on the train or in a station? And there's been, you know, a, a long history where people have sort of complained about not seeing officers enough. And so to deal with that concern, BART police chief Ed Alvarez announced during the board workshop last week that there is going to be a pretty dramatic change in the in the way the officers are deployed. We're going to be doubling down on our presence in the system. We will have our police officers, ambassadors, crisis intervention specialists, and fair inspectors on trains throughout all hours of service. It's a little hard to pin down exactly the numbers you'll see, but it'll be an increase of several times. So it used to be there would be about um, 10 officers assigned to ride trains during the, the day. That'll increase by 8 to 18 officers, depending on the shift. So you're going to see officers more often. This is the biggest train deployment we've had in 25 years since I've been here, if not in the history of the Bart Police Department. This effort is going to be focused in downtown San Francisco uh, and maybe a little out uh, to the mission and then on the system through Oakland, which is the area where there are a higher number of complaints. And then there's also going to be a sort of concentrated deployment of fare inspectors, uh, crisis intervention specialists, and transit ambassadors. So you're, you're bound to see a lot more uniform presence in that part of the BART system. How did BART board directors react to this? I think overall, the reaction was positive. There is a, a pretty strong progressive majority on the board that has pushed for more, you know, expansive ideas about how to police, all under the heading of you don't need an armed officer for a lot of the situations that passengers find themselves uncomfortable with. You know, everything from people just riding the trains because they have nowhere else to go to people having, you know, a mental crises. So the BART board has pushed strongly to add things like these crisis intervention specialists. But that said, I mean, even Latifa Simon, who I think is, you know, probably the most progressive member of the board, was saying, look, I, I realize that it's unsafe out there. Very few places in the Bay Area when you are harmed, no one's coming for you in five minutes. And she, you know, she talked about that during the meeting. We, we have more safety staff than we've ever had. Our response time is over five minutes. Try getting your house or car broken into in Oakland. You're waiting hours. Try getting robbed by gunpoint in downtown Oakland. No one's coming. No one's coming. And so there will be a, a ton of pushback to this strategy. But I got to say, we're doing a better job than we ever have before. Did it surprise you at all that Director Simon would take that stance? I mean, given her record as a progressive, as a champion of police reforms, and the fact that, you know, there are historical concerns around BART police, I guess in general, are you surprised that the board was supportive of this move? Well, yes and no. The yes part is because of the history you mentioned. You know, you don't have to go too far back. I don't know if this is the last BART police shooting, but I believe it was. There's a, uh, a man called Salim Tyndall who was shot and killed by a, a BART police officer outside the West Oakland Station, which caused a, a real community uh, uproar, demands that the officer be prosecuted criminally. And BART has this history going back to uh, the death of Oscar Grant on the platform at Fruitvale Station. 
And look, I mean, if you want to pare back the history, it goes farther back than that. But anyway, given that history, I think there is a healthy fear of over-policing. But at the same time, I think people are of the mind that, again, here's uh, Latifah Simon talking about standing out on the Coliseum platform station for half an hour waiting for a train with a young daughter. And it's just not comfortable. I'm curious if you've heard from BART officials or staff in this conversation about policing about data or trends when it comes to passenger safety. Or is this really about creating an environment where some people might, you know, feel safer because of more police? There's a little of both. You know, BART does a quarterly performance report where they actually do break down, you know, where they stand on the number of, of crimes committed in the uh, the system. The crime rate uh, of, you know, violent crimes, what the FBI calls uh, part one crimes, has risen significantly since before the pandemic. It really spiked during the pandemic, and then it's come down but it's still an issue, and it's still higher than it used to be uh, in the days before the pandemic. So there is talk about that data, but there, there, it is a, a matter of perception. They're sensitive to how people perceive their safety on the train, especially when they're riding hours where there aren't lots of people on the train, which is, you know, kind of the middle of the day and sometimes late at night. Then there's this second bucket of ideas to rescue BART that we can sum up as lifelines. Basically, pass the collection plate, let's ask for help to boost the system. There's even some talk of going to the voters for money. What could that look like? The, the first place where the transit agencies, not just BART, but um, the rest of the transit agencies in the state are going to go, and they already have gone, is to the state legislature. About a month ago, uh, members of the transit boards, including the BART board, started to meet with legislators directly in Sacramento, right? They took a field trip up there, and the legislature is very transit-friendly. So they met with people to, to try to say, you know, we really need help. Scott Weiner, a uh, senator from San Francisco, has been quite open that he thinks the Newsom administration has to rethink its, its budget priorities and the legislature needs to figure out how to get money from the general fund that will bridge transit agencies over as they face this crisis. So there's going to be an ask. So what will the, the uh, legislature do? We don't know. Now, most Bay Area lawmakers agree that transit agencies are in crisis and need help from the state. But BART has its critics, too. State Senator Steve Glazer, a Democrat who represents parts of the East Bay, has often criticized BART for not being fiscally responsible. And this week, he even resigned from a committee focused on Bay Area transit, saying the panel was enabling BART, not providing oversight. You know, Steve Glazer is somebody who's been a longtime hawk uh, on, on BART. I mean, he really wants to hold them responsible. This goes back to the strikes in 2013. He felt the agency gave gave away too much to the unions after that, um, after those strikes. And then, you know, he's really been uh, trying to keep the spotlight on how BART operates and how it spends money. And one of the things that he did was um, he got inserted into this regional measure three that we Bay Area voters approved in 2018, an office of the inspector general for BART, right, to oversee how BART is spending money, detect waste, fraud and abuse. And... 
he feels that Bart has never really acted in good faith. And also recognizing how important Bart is to my constituents. Of course, out of that comes a, a, uh, an understanding of the choices they make, and, and many of them have not been so good on, on health and safety, uh, on uh, accountability and oversight, on fraud, conflict of interest, uh, crime, and the list goes on and on. And so now here, you know, we're in a season where all the transit agencies, including BART, are saying, we need more money or else we're facing Armageddon. And he goes, look, um, you haven't really stepped up to the plate for the things that we asked you to do, that I asked you to do about uh, fiscal oversight. And um, I'm not having it. On one hand, I recognize the financial need that they have. On the other hand, I've, I've experienced promises broken before, and it has made me stiffen my resolve that you can't just ask for money without oversight and accountability. They have to be linked. Nobody else has focused on this issue the way Steve Glazer has. And um, I think the attitude everybody else has expressed publicly anyway is that this is an emergency and uh, we can't you know, focus on this one dispute in this one agency while transit in general may go down the tubes. Another idea that some officials are talking about is going directly to voters to approve more funding for transit in the next election. But a ballot measure like that could be a tough sell because it would require a two-thirds majority to pass. And the bottom line is there's no guarantee that it would make it on the ballot before federal emergency funding runs out. Whatever happens next, though, BART's leaders know they have to improve public perception if they want to get the money they need. Have you heard BART officials talk about improving service as kind of a prerequisite for getting voter support? Yes, they've done a lot. You know, they restored weekday service to a very high level. They've done what they could to improve service on weekends and evenings, and they're still chipping away at that. This you know, policing initiative, that's also about, you know, improving perceptions. I think they do see it as a prerequisite, but, you know, there's only so much they, they can control in terms of really, you know, uh, changing hearts and minds. We got to do it all. The art, it's the modernization, it's the bathrooms, it's the cleanliness, it's the new train cars. Janice Lee is the BART board president. And, you know, I talked to her recently about the stuff that BART has to do to make it more attractive to, you know, all these people who used to ride who no longer ride. We have to really show that the BART that people are coming back to is not the BART that they remember of that 2015, 2016 sardines on every train from like, you know, 6.30 to 10 a.m. We need to prove that that is not the BART that folks are returning to. So transit agencies all around the Bay Area are rethinking their futures is it appropriate that BART is at the forefront of this conversation? Well, you know, I think about that a lot because, you know, it's just one agency. There's a larger question about the future of transit and getting people to ride it. Getting people on transit is a huge part of the state's climate goals, right? And um, the history of transit use in California and in the Bay Area isn't great. I mean, 65% of people commuting to work before the pandemic were driving solo. So recovery means not just bringing those old riders back. It means figuring out how to get new riders into the system. 
look, I think the, the truth about BART is that because it covers such a, a large, diverse geographic area, it has had a tendency to sort of concentrate people's feelings about you know, what they see in, the, in other parts of the Bay Area that they don't see any other way. You know, somebody writing in from, you know, Concord, not to profile people from Concord. I mean, you know, there's plenty of diversity there. But, you know, they're not in daily touch with the reality of West Oakland or the mission, say, except where they encounter it on a place like BART. There aren't too many other places like that. All right, Dan Brecky, thanks so much. You're welcome. That was Dan Brecky, editor and reporter for KQED. This conversation was cut down and edited by Alan Monticilio. Maria Esquinka added the music and the tape. The Bay is a production of KQED in San Francisco. Maria Esquinka is our producer. Alan Monticilio is our senior editor. Cesar Saldana is our podcast engagement producer. Jen Chan is our director of podcasts. And KQED's chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Guy Marzarati, in for Erica Cruz Guevara. Have a great weekend. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.